Hi, you're listening to Monsters of Talk. I'm Margaret Cho. I'm here with my co-host. Hello, I am Jim Short. Jim, we're back in Atlanta um, in our uh, second home. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a sense, it's very similar to our home home, but this is another home for us. It's like a, our second home. One, uh, one of many homes. Wherever just, home is where we have our mics at. <laughs> right? Right, wherever, wherever I, I lay my mics... Uh, mm-hmm. is my home. And um, we are uh, here with um, somebody uh, who is very special, um, very important, uh, the producer of my new album, which we haven't even titled yet, and also a frequent collaborator, a, a great friend who we have not had on our podcast before. Um, we have with us the amazing Garrison Star. Oh, thanks. Thank <laughs> thanks you so much. Oh, my God. It's a, I'm so excited. What I'm wondering about right now is who was, I wonder who was the last person to put their mouth on this fuzzy knob before um, me. Do you know who it was? It may have been F- Fuzzy Knob should be the name of your next album. Fuzzy, fuzzy Knob <laughs> is a great, um, <laughs> it's a great idea. In Embedded in one of these microphones is a, a hair from Billy Bragg. Um, uh, in a, um, is that true? A beard hair. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Because I just pulled a hair off this knob. Do you think I accidentally got rid of the Billy Bragg? Uh, yeah, I mean, hair? you might, you might have. I'm not. You I'm might not have plucked <laughs> a Billy Bragg mic. Damn it! <laughs> it may have. I mean, it, it's fine. I think they're fairly clean. Maybe we should swap them out. But uh, yeah. Did, well, who are the last? Who was who the, is last the last person, person that we interviewed? Because um, nobody's really asked about it except for Lee Turgeson, who apparently is a germaphobe. Yeah, and, uh, Lee Turgeson is an actor. He was on the television show Oz. You may remember him um, as Tobias seen. Beecher. I didn't watch that show. Um, if you had watched the film Monster, starring Ooh, I did Charlize watch, Theron, I did watch that. He was um, the killer uh, who. Uh, no, he was the uh, sort of serial killer who started off her killing spree. He was the guy that. Um, put lighter fluid on her. He, oh. he was the rapist in the beginning. Okay, All right. so that is a, a one of Lee's. Um, he he often plays uh, shady bloke slash asshole type. Creep, creep, creepy, rapey, creepy. very creepy, rapey. rapey. Um, usually <laughs> rapist. <laughs> very, very. Hello, my la- um, my name is Lee Turgeson, <laughs> and I heard you were looking for a creepy, rapey person. <laughs> He's usually, I mean, he uh, usually is a rapist or some kind of, um, I don't know, some some sort of individual. uh, Yeah. 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 Or or being raped. Or being raped. You know, um, you know, other side of the coin. (laughs) <laughs> he's either raping hey, it's, uh, he's either heads or tails <laughs> and it's his tail it's oh his tail no. usually but oh, he he no. did ask about that and not too many other people have oh he no. asked who else he did ask he said how, how often of these but does it look dirty no we not to at keep all no, okay. I'm not worried about the no, no, germs right. uh, I'm just wondering out of curiosity because I just I like to touch it with my face and I'm just wondering oh, oh I wonder right up there. If no. you want, you can if take someone... that off and just take the. Um, no, I'm good. It's really. I was just curious. But Whoever it was, it was somebody. There was. Famous. I, to- I told Lee that somebody famous and awesome. <laughs> there, was, and awesome. there was a hair in one of them, and I think it was Billy Bragg's beard hair. Oh, one, of his, one of his whiskers. So that's not. That's pretty. Should, I think we should actually start a project called Billy Bragg's beard hair. <laughs> and then we should get everybody really drunk and see how B- many B- times B- they B-H. can say it. Yeah. B the the B B B H. Well, then club. it'll be like instead of what would Jesus do? It'll be it'll be W W B B B H. What would Billy beard hair do? What would it do? I I think that we may see Billy Bragg. We're trying to we're trying to like connect with him. We love him. Do you do you love him? I know that you love him. I I do. I I totally love him. I don't. I'm not. I haven't heard like a ton of his music. But he's I obviously great. have heard enough to know that he's brilliant. He's brilliant. He's our he's our mate. He's our friend. I love it. Um, we're friends with so many great rock stars, such as um, Billy Bragg, such as Wilco, such oh. as you. Well, that's nice company to be in. I, I'll take it. I love your music. And I, okay, I was like freaking out because I didn't realize Girl Who Killed September was, there was an acoustic version. And... You had tweeted about it, and so then I I logged on. I got an account on um, TuneCore or TuneCore, and then um, they uh, I couldn't find how to download it. They what? were 
they were trying to get me to upload my music. Well, and see, I was like, no, I just want that record. I don't want to upload. Well, something got weird about that link because it should have been uploaded to iTunes. Okay. TuneCore is for musicians to upload music to distribute to iTunes and Amazon and mm-hmm. shit. Mm-hmm. So that's probably why they asked you that. But I love that you have an acoustic version. She she made a brilliant record, mm-hmm. um, Girl Who Killed September. So it's a great time to get it because it's, it, it's going to be September. And you're going to kill it. But it's On a great sales. record. September will be the greatest sale. That's going to be a great it, sales It's month, an amazing record. But Thank what you. made you um, decide to do it acoustically? Was well, it with Jay also? Well, no. We So Nielsen Hubbard originally produced that record in 2008. Mm-hmm. And what happened was when I did my pledge campaign for Amateur, which is the last record I put out um, in May, like two years ago or whenever it was, um, I did an acoustic version of The Girl That Killed September to have as one of the prizes or one of the things you could pledge for mm-hmm. on the, you know, it's like Kickstarter, but, mm-hmm. it's, but yeah, it's a different of company. Of course. So you could pledge toward the acoustic version of The Girl That Killed September. So I had recorded it a couple of years ago for the pledge campaign. And recently I was thinking, I mean, you know, everything happens, it, it, you know, it's like delayed reaction because I'm doing everything myself. So like mm-hmm. two years later, I'm like, hey, I should print those up and sell them at shows. Well, I so mean, I love, I, I love the way that you produce your records. And then I also love when you um, go back, because I, I have a couple of them now where you go back and you do acoustic versions because um, you're such a great musician and you're such a great singer that the songs that you've written, and also a great songwriter, but the, the acoustically they have a totally different energy and feeling. I mean, and that's, um, it's quite unusual because usually when people do an acoustic version of a song, it, it sounds like a folk song. But with you, it it's actually like a totally different kind of a rock and roll song, which mm. I appreciate. It's very hard for singers to do something alone on a guitar and make it sound rock and roll. Oh, thanks, man. Well, you know, I think it's because I start when I first started playing, I started playing just by myself and mm-hmm. I had to go like I, I started by myself and then I started playing with a band all the time. And then when I did that first Lilith Fair in 97, I think was the first mm-hmm. Lilith Fair. It was either 97 or 98, but I think it was 97. Um, I had to go play solo acoustic because I was playing on the little acoustic stage. Yeah. And so I had to go play solo acoustic. And I realized my manager at the time was like, you need to spend some time with these songs just on the acoustic because I had written them by myself, but then it produced them with a band and been touring with a band. So I really had to go back and like learn how to really kind of inter or kind of like perform those songs by myself again and it was the first time I'd ever really done that after having made a rock record and then having to go back and like sort of reinterpret them on acoustic again from the standpoint of like the rock record was Mm -hmm. a new thing and I think from that point forward like I have looked at it in a different way like after I've produced it like a song has been produced either by me or by someone else and then you know touring wise i usually go out solo acoustic because it's the way that i can afford to do it for the most part as you guys understand yeah of course um so so yeah so i've gotten so used to just kind of carrying the show alone Mm -hmm. but i think and that's a big compliment i appreciate it i think that's why i love it it sounds so full is because i'm used to like you had said earlier like being a one-man band you know? Well, it's it's that it, it, it is a very special, very specific talent, and it really only it only very very few people can really claim that you can make an acoustic song sound like way more than folk. You know, you can you can really bring the band, the rock and roll, into just a person and a guitar, yeah. and it's like I can count them on one hand. It's like you, Bob Dylan. Um, Hmm, I don't know. Maybe Patty Griffin can do that. Um, maybe um, I, I would say Patty Griffin can do that. Patty Griffin can, yeah. yeah uh, but I mean, the, the very few artists. Maybe I think Dave Grohl can do oh, that. I love Dave Grohl. You know, but it, it, it's a very select few that can take um, what is a beautiful instrument just on its own, but but create it into something that sounds like so much more yeah. than what it is. So well, dude, that means a lot. I mean, that that's like a. I'm going to take that in. I appreciate it. You're a great player and uh, a a great songwriter and a great singer. Now, where are your origins in terms of music? I mean, where did you begin initially playing? Well, I started playing in church. Mm -hmm. I mean, what I really started doing, I mean, I'm an only child. And so my dad would had all these albums, you know, he had, you know, all these albums like the Beatles and 
the Stones and Cream and the Yardbirds and all these really great like 60s and 70s records that he was listening to in the house all the time. And so I would, um, you know, I spent a ton of time by myself. Both my parents worked full time. And so I was a lot of times just with a babysitter, you mm-hmm. know, or like an old lady from down the street, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> like he'd be watching me. And I would just put like the, I would put one of my dad's irons, one of his golf clubs in my dresser. And then, so the end of it would stick out. Like I, the, the little foot part that you hit the ball with uh-huh. would go in the dresser and I would shut it so that the foot part would sort of keep it straight so mm-hmm. I could sing into it like a microphone. Oh, <laughs> it's so cute. I had a David, uh, or I'm sorry, a Sean Cassidy. Do you remember Sean Cassidy? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Of course. Well, Born a, late. <laughs> you mean from the record Born Late? <laughs> Wait, I still have that record. Oh my God. Well, I, I love it. Sean Cassidy, I used to think he was so cute. I think now in retrospect, not that I don't think men are cute because I do, but in retrospect, he kind of looked like a girl with his wavy well, I, mm-hmm. I, I do think that's why most of us are lesbians. Yeah, well. Because we love Sean Cassidy. Yeah. And that, uh, that was, was an f- introduction. You all love those hardy boys. Step. We love the hardy boys and then that turned us gay. I was a Nancy Drew. I never read Hardy Boys. I read Nancy Drew. Well, I like the television show starring Sean Cassidy and Parker Stevenson. Oh, see, I missed that. Oh, you didn't? Oh, yeah. The whole thing with me and Sean Cassidy was I had a Sean Cassidy record player Mm -hmm. that it had his (laughs) face on it. So you opened it up and it had his big, his big wavy locks and his face on it. And then there were these lights that would blink like sort of randomly, different colored lights that would blink (laughs) as the music would play. Okay. So I had the record player, and I would just lip sync, you know, or sing with the records and stuff and pretend like I was singing to a crowd. And so I did that first, and I listened to all my dad's records, and then I discovered the Bangles were the first band. Oh, I love that band, yeah. Dude, that that was the first band that I really, I think that was the first, like, female sort of, you know, music and sort of icon type people that I gravitated toward. I don't know. There was something about their all their harmonies, and they sort of reminded me of the Beatles a little bit. But yeah, but with like a, a you know, I mean, with a different sort of edge. Well, to Susanna Hoffs is also a great singer. I mean, she yeah. really has a bell tone to her voice, which yeah, is very rare. And a beautiful girl, also, and a very nice, uh, nice person. Yeah. Um, as well. Well, Vicky Peterson, the lead guitar player, is yeah. my rock and roll hero, hero of all time. Yeah, and she sang on my very first record, my oh. my, my debut oh, wow. record for Geffen. She came and sang harmonies. Which song? Wait, which um, song? She sang on a song called "18 Over Me." Yeah, of course. And she course. also sang on "Passing." Oh my god! Yeah, I didn't realize. I only have that album digitally, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's actually on it? Actually, yeah. John John Bryan played on that John record too. John Bryan played yeah on a song called "Ugly." He played all mm-hmm. those the string like mm-hmm. the the um, mellotron stuff. Yeah, whatever oh, the wow. keyboard stuff he used. But yeah, um, so that's was, a great album. Yeah, it was. Thanks. It's it was really cool. It was a great experience to get to meet Vicky. And I remember all I wanted to ask her was, had she ever had an experience with a woman? And was she a lesbian? Like, that's all I wanted to talk to. Is her about. She, <laughs> no, is she not. No, um, she, but she's she's still a great. She, she plays like one. Yeah, she's so cool. And like her style is so cool. And she's so down to earth and like unassuming and like not pretentious whatsoever like she's the nicest person how did you get her to play on your album did you um reach out to her or you know i can't remember i think i told i told my producer this guy dennis herring who was co-producing the record with another friend of mine clay jones i told him i told dennis you know who's fairly connected i told him he produced um do you have that cracker record the golden age do you remember that record cracker the band Mm -hmm. of course of course of course dennis produced that record and he also produced a band called the innocence mission um, oh, I don't know oh, yeah. that band. They, the yeah. Innocence Mission had a record called Glow that's beautiful, and Dennis mm. produced both those records, and I thought they were so wonderful, and that's why I wanted him to produce. But anyway... Um, was Cracker previously Camper Van Beethoven? Yeah, yes. Was, what's, okay. what's his name? David... Uh, David, uh, um, David Lowry. And I think Camper Van Beethoven and Cracker were doing dates this summer, I, mm. I think, which I think would be kind of a fantastic show. That would be a great show, yeah. But anyway, I guess Dennis probably reached out to somebody. Like, we probably used the record label. I mean, mm. Geffen was a big label at that yeah, time. Yeah, that's not bad, eh? And so we probably used them to get in touch with her. And Well, it's a fantastic album. Now, there's um, that, that, that that's the one with Superhero. Yep. Um, have, the first uh, version of uh, Superhero. I, I mean, yeah, that, that song to me, um, Ian Harvey uses it in his um, uh, special, Bubs. which I produced. But uh, it's a great. It, it's I. Well, I first heard that song. I believe it was 1999, and I sense. um I had a very um 
really smart uh, book agent who was a big music fan and a huge fan of yours. Oh. And so he um, made me um, like a mixed sort of CD of, you know, all these different people that he needed me to hear. And one of them was, was you. And that song was on there. And um, I remember uh, first hearing it, and I was running, I was living in New York at the time, and I was running through Tompkins Square Park, where um, we just interviewed Lee Turkison in the park. And I was running through the park, and uh, that song came on, and, um, and it just electrified me. You know, that song, you know, um, the way that your voice soars on it, and it um, it is kind of an anthem to childhood. It's sort of a it's sort of like I'm gonna put on this cape and I'm gonna be a hero with you. And and it's about playing, but it's also such a uh, the lyrics are beautiful, but the, the the melody it really does make you feel like you're flying. That's really cool. You know, well, how did you how did you write that song and how did that I'll song come you, about well it's funny like first of all it's you know like you're that's such a huge compliment that you love it so much and i remember when my manager was like dude margaret cho do you know margaret cho is i was like yeah she's like she's a huge fan of your music i was like oh my god <laughs> it was like the you know the first like you and uh do you remember that girl uh Kristen johnson or, oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. third rock from the sun yeah she's great she was also she's great a, she, like you and her were like yeah. the two people i knew that were big fans and i thought that Such was huge so fans. cool yeah um but anyway i uh so it's it's interesting it's really sad actually the way the song got written and i've never ever told this story before mm. um so when i was in college uh i was going to Ole miss and i was in a relation my very first like real relationship you know because I dated guys and I went to a private Christian school and I dated guys and you know like I was into it and stuff like that but I never had an emotional connection with a man and like I'd mm. always known that I had feelings for women and that I thought I might be gay but I like there was nobody to talk to about it like nobody and I learned from a young age in that Christian in that brand of Christianity where I grew up that it just you know like it was either it was either this or that like if I said I was gay then I would go to a gay camp I mean it was mm -hmm. like that kind of thing like it wasn't mm -hmm. up for discussion it was like okay you're gay and you're going to hell or you're not gay and you're getting married and having six babies like so I knew I had to make a choice and I wasn't ready to make a choice and I didn't want to make the I didn't like those two options mm -hmm. so I just kept it to myself yeah. so when I got to college I met a woman and you know and everything sort of came together for me and it was like I was trying to figure all that shit out and then we and then we got found out. Like people found out that we were together and it was literally a witch hunt. It was like oh, no. my parents came and pulled me out of school because they were freaked out. They tried to kick you know the girl that I was with out of the sorority. It was like a it was horrible. It was humiliating. It was awful. My roommate moved out of her dorm room. Her dad told all of our friends not to talk to me. It mm. was really horrible. It was like a bad ABC after school special. It was terrible. Mm. And so at that time when my parents moved me back to their house um, I was still commuting to school because I didn't want to give up. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I was just like, fuck this. I'm going to go to school if I want to. Like, I didn't want people to tell me that I couldn't right. be there. It was just, it was just humiliating. And I felt like I didn't have a choice in it and I needed to show my face again. And I think I needed to show people that I wasn't afraid of them. Yeah. You know, that I wasn't going to be run out of town on a rail. Mm -hmm. And I think my parents were trying to protect me because they were worried about me and they weren't sure what was going on. And, you know, I don't blame them. I think they were afraid for their child and, you know, they didn't know what to do. And so anyway, I was driving. I'll never forget it. I was driving down Highway 6. I was commuting from my parents' house to Ole Miss to go to morning class. And I started writing Superhero. Hmm. And the, I had the sunroof open. And it was a gorgeous, like, flawless day. Just beautiful day. And I can't remember if it was in the fall or the spring, but it was a changing of seasons. Mm -hmm. And it just, you know, so for me you know, that song started coming together in the car. And I think, I think I needed to escape. Like I wanted so yeah. badly to, to escape and go back. I remember thinking in my mind, like there's a point where a person crosses, like they lose their innocence. And once you cross that threshold, it's done. It's almost like, you know, it's almost like the garden of Eden. Like, you know, it's almost like once you, once you bit into the apple, well, everything's different now and it can't go back. Mm -hmm. It's like, and that's how it was for me with that song, it was like, oh, this is what it feels like to to not be a kid anymore and to be, you know, to be thrust into that the nasty world that you, you know, it's time to get kicked out of the nest. Mm -hmm. So that's where it came about. That's, yeah, that's the whole deal. Well, it's very triumphant. I mean, I think that the, um, 
the the way also that it is it, it's not just the lyrics it's like musically the way that you um and then the way that you just soar on it you know and it, it is like you know we don't ever want to leave the stage we just want to you know like you're gonna you're gonna really just be this superhero you're gonna like live this and that's what's so powerful about it but um for me i think lyrically uh your your songs are so amazing but it's also the the pairing of the the music to the chords that you choose mm. and the way that your voice um kind of marries with them and um i don't know you have this very amazing thing to know what to say with what to sing do you know what i mean oh, like it's wow. like oh that is the right word with that note and but when did you figure out that you could do it like how did you know that you could do that i don't know i i've been i was telling jim um over fried chicken that uh that i have been writing songs and singing since i was my mom put me in piano lessons when i was six mm -hmm. and so probably from right around that time was when i started really getting into music my mom noticed that i was that i'd be singing all the time or you know mm -hmm. in my room you know singing with the records and in the I golf would, club yeah, in the, in golf, the club, sweet yeah. golf club. And I would play drumsticks on my bed. Like, I would play drumsticks on the mattress and just sing melodies. So my mom saw that, and I think she got me into piano lessons. Mm -hmm. But I hated piano. I didn't get it. I, I couldn't wrap my head around the piano, and I didn't want to learn theory at that time. So right. I got into playing guitar. And I just, the only way I know how to explain it, which is probably going to sound super um, arrogant, but I don't mean it that way. I just, it's like, uh, you've seen Jerry Maguire, right? Of course. I've seen Jerry Maguire. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. You had me at hello. Yes, you had me at hello. But no, you had me at hello. Oh, I did? <laughs> you Wait. complete me. Wait, was it Jerry Maguire or was it... Uh, no, it's not Jerry Maguire. It's, oh, um, shit. Shit. It's uh, Good Will Hunting. When he's sitting down... Mm -hmm. like, when uh, Matt Damon and Minnie Driver are at the restaurant and she's like, how did you do this impossible trigonometry problem? You didn't even study. You don't even know. And he's like... Well, you know, like some people, you know, when I sat down to do this, I could just play. Mm -hmm. And it was like, for me, when I sat down to play the guitar, I just could play it. When yeah. I tried to play piano, I had not a clue. It yeah. makes no sense to me. But the guitar, for whatever reason, just made sense. And I would sit with music, like the Indigo Girls. I would listen to in the Indigo Girls' first record, first couple records. And like, I would just play, rewind, play, rewind and imitate it. Mm -hmm. on the guitar and I would do that until I figured out like I would just listen I'd figure out what tunings they were in like I figured mm. all that shit out just by listening and diligently learning like that's right. how I learned and Joni Mitchell chord books I also learned some cool open tunings from the Joni Mitchell chord book which oh. was very helpful okay yeah she used a lot of open tunings do you know who um, I'm kind of obsessed with the Klein guitars that she uses no, oh the ones that, are, that sort of look like the crazy electrics but they sound like acoustics yeah, they they're really weird. They're kind of like they they're they're weird and chubby and like yes. thick. Yes. But um the guy that makes them for her, um, he uh made them so that they um you can change the tuning in the monitor. You don't touch the strings, oh. but you change the tuning in the monitor. And it's the only he and he just made them because he's such a huge um fan. Joni Mitchell fan and then wow. he's only made them for her. But he made them so that you uh, can do any tuning you want, but you program it. So you don't outside have to sit of, there and you don't, tune. No, you do you it in, in the monitor because um, he did something where the monitor perceives uh, the chord or the, the string as a different note as opposed right. to you having to tune the string. It, it, that, so do you have to carry this specific monitor around? With I believe you? so. And you must, right? Yeah. But um, isn't that insane? That is pretty crazy. Um, but he makes guitars. Uh, he makes them in Northern California. Um, they they range about fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. And then he he oh, sort right. of will only make them. He's one of those luthiers that will only make it if it's like if he's a fan and he wants to hear you play a song. That's it's pretty much the only. <laughs> you got to play a song for him. Yeah, but you you have to sort of you know you have to please him first before he will actually right. make a guitar for you. Yes. and he has to be a fan first before he can consider it. Well, let me ask you this: Do you know? Excuse me. If they, so does it just tune itself? Then you never have to tune it. No, it tunes itself. 
Ooh. And that it it it, uh, it is a very I don't know how I can't even figure out how it you would so space age so yeah it does but there's those people out there that are the kind of guitar geniuses that you know they just make those you know the yeah those kind of I'm looking for my dream guitar what do you think is your dream guitar I'm I'm on the on the lookout from the one for me but. yeah you know I think I might be on the lookout for mine too like I mm-hmm. always thought that it would be an old vintage Martin mm-hmm. because I love Martin guitars right. but my friend Jay Nash like uses Gibsons like he has so mm-hmm. many Gibsons and I. I'm kind of obsessed with maybe having a vintage Gibson too. Like I do love, I would love a vintage Hummingbird. A Hummingbird would be great. Like I a mean, vintage one. Yeah. Like an oldest crap, like Hummingbird would like be great. Like what year do you think? Do you think a birth year or do you think? Uh, I don't know because see, I don't know, um, I don't know Gibson models as well as I know like other models of guitars. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what, what would be like the most vintage the, the the prime vintage year for a hummingbird. I don't know what that would be. I don't know what that would be. Would I, don't be if, I don't know if I don't know if it would be sixties. I think it might. Although I think it is. I don't know if they started issuing them in the sixties. I think it's one of those things that that model. I'm not sure, but um, for me, I'm looking for both a birth year guitar. That's supposed to be that. What for, does that mean? That's oh, um, it was so when you're birth yeah. So in mine would be 1968. So I'm looking for that. That's supposed to be that a guitarist always should have a birth year guitar so that that is one of the things that you're supposed to have as guitar well, that'll be my next part like i'm obsessed with that now yeah. i want to do that now you have to get a birth okay. year guitar what does it do does it is it just superstition is it's it a superstition but it's sort of also supposed to be there's something intuitive about guitars because it is something organic because in a sense you know uh, there's that saying um um in life, I was silent. In death, now I sing. So there is something about guitars where it is, in a sense, like your your um, alter ego, and it is kind of like who you are after you've died, in a in a way. Interesting. And um, like the tree and the wood and all the stuff that kind of goes into it, it it's like something that's almost like a zombie, like it's alive after death or a vampire or whatever. Yeah. But there is a symbiotic relationship between the guitarist and the guitar player that um, really is very intimate, much more so than any other instrument. The only thing I could compare it to maybe would be a violinist, and it's but that the makes same sense. same sort of I relationship. I completely agree with that. And so you know, it's what an t- intense thing. I was going to say too to uh, to harken back to one thing you said about um, being able to like sing things the way they sound. Mm-hmm. You know, two other people that I feel like have influenced me in that way that are great at that is Tom Petty. Oh, yeah. He's one of my favorites. And that dude, like, you know, if you go, I I just, I love his songwriting for so many reasons. One of which being he was so, I mean, he sings things that that I would never write or Mm -hmm. sing. Mm -hmm. But the way that he sings them, they, they, when you read them, they could sound trite. Mm -hmm. But they're Mm -hmm. so not trite. You know, but he's, he was like, I don't know. I just love the way he's able to say stuff that if anybody else said it, it would sound stupid. But because mm-hmm. it's Tom Petty, you're like, fuck, yes. That's the <laughs> that's the exact right thing. And then Jill Sobule. Oh, and you know how amazing. both Tom yeah. Petty and Jill Sobule do this thing where they'll sing a word that really it's like, you know, it's not it doesn't rhyme with anything. It's not in any sort of like rhyme scheme pattern, mm-hmm. but it sounds amazing in that one spot and it really it doesn't really have a reference, but the way it sounds in whatever spot it's in, it sounds amazing. Right. They both are do that really well. I love it. Like their phrasing yeah. and um, the way they sing words, both of them are great at that. They're both really great. Um, Jill is a fan of uh, Monsters of Talk and uh, Dude, and, and a friend. I'm a fan of Jill and uh, a great, great she is player fantastic. and a great singer. Yeah. Um, somebody that is not. Um, she's sort of un. Uh, I don't know. She she is unsung an unsung hero. You yeah. don't hear as much about her as. You should, right? But, I agree. But she really, truly is uh, one of the great songwriters. At, but Tom Petty, what do you think? Do you, do you have, Jim? Do you have a favorite Tom Petty song? Um, yeah, I like. I really like that Southern Accents album. Oh, mm. I just got was, that on vinyl. It's so amazing because you know Southern Accents. First off, that song is really just great, and it's very sort of traditional song. But then don't come around here no more. It's so Such a psychedelic song Beautiful. with that sitar in it from mm-hmm. David Stewart. Yep, is really just oh, like yeah. 
such a bizarre sound. Mm-hmm. It's just such a such an exotic sound. Yeah. And the song itself, which you know, it's been played so much over the years, and it had a had a great video that accompanied it. Yeah, but yeah. It was an amazing song. That album is great. Yeah. I, I think that would be my one of my favorites of theirs. But then so many great songs of his through the years too. So many great. I like the songs that he did with. Um, the, he did some songs with Bob Dylan. The Traveling Wilbury stuff? or Oh, actually, that stuff is really good, too. That stuff's really amazing. But there was one, You're Jamming Me. Oh, yeah. Remember that? About 86 or 7. It was yep. around about when they toured together. Like, the, the yeah. Heartbreakers backed up Bob Dylan on a, on a world tour. But You're Jamming Me. And I think they basically just took, they opened up a newspaper and took words, headlines and bits of things and wrote a song out of it. Mm. That's um, awesome. That's yeah. a good exercise. Yeah. It's a good, I've done that before. It's so cool. Do you got to do things to like jog the creative thing? Like, well, I mean, an exercise. Like, what can you do with that? They make it truly art. You know, they make it truly, you know, beautiful. I mean, I think it's exciting. What do you think your favorite is? Do you think it's a song called Insider? It's on Mm -hmm. Hard Promises. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. Hard Promises is probably my favorite Tom Petty record. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that song, Stevie Nicks sings um, Mm -hmm. sings background vocals. It's more. It's kind of like a duet almost. Yeah. It's a beautiful song. I it's, love when he does oh. stuff with, with her. You know, their voices sound really great together, and yeah. they seem like they would be together. Yeah. Even though they haven't been, but they you just seem like, you seem like you would work. Yeah, I agree. Somehow. Like, I know. Was, I that agree. One, was that one at the same time that they collaborated in the 70s, or was it afterwards? Um, no, I, you know, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make myself seem like not as knowledgeable as I should be. But I'm not sure exactly. I, I thought that record came out in the early 80s, but maybe it came out like in 79. When did they do Stop Dragging My Heart around? That was like 83. Okay, yeah. Oh, well, was it later? I was, was thinking it bit, was 70s, but I'm just... Yeah. No, no, that was, that was quite, a, quite a bit later. I, and think those, the, I think Hard Promises and the other one, which uh, the name, I can't remember, but they're around the same time. It, I think it was like... Oh, was Damn the Torpedoes. Damn the Torpedoes. No, I think it was like Damn the that, that It's like Damn the Torpedoes era that, okay. that Stevie Nicks was like going to be... She was sort of like considered like the female heartbreaker. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And there. Um but uh she's I just I I think she's awesome. I do too. But I love her. She's great with him. Yeah. You know. Yeah. They have a great um like a vo- vocal marriage. I agree. Um totally agree. But uh you you know when 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 it is that 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 perfect um thing of like when they sing it and say it what they're singing and saying I think for me this song is um here comes my girl. Oh yeah. yeah, because that's what that feels like. Mm-hmm. You know when you and it, it, it's very specific to loving a woman. Yeah, I don't feel that for a guy. <laughs> right. I see what you're saying. But you know, like <laughs> if you love women, you know that feeling when your girl is coming. Yeah, that's and right. And it's like like nothing else. It's everything is all right. Yeah, that's right. And it it it, it doesn't work in the opposite way. It doesn't work for dudes. It's like here comes my guy. Well, yeah, the, here he comes. Right. It's not the same. <laughs> that would, no, with the totally bloke, it's what I'm. What is it? Waiting on the man. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So when's he gonna get here? Like why? Why is he taking so long? It's like um. <laughs> It's more. Is that Lou Reed? That's Lou Reed, right? That's Lou Reed. Waiting on the um, man, or is it? I'm waiting for my man. I think it's Velvet Underground. Um, I'm waiting for the man. That's a different. It's a different feeling. Yeah. But there's something about women, and this is why you know loving women is so beautiful and profound. And and when you have that ability to love women, that, that it's a it's a, uh, I don't know. It's like a rainbow, or it's like a it, it's like a. It's a like a ray of light through the clouds. It's like this this thing where you know when you see your girl when she's coming and it's like everything's good. It's like when when things haven't gone terrible when it, there's no drama yet. Yeah. When it's just <laughs> because women are so I don't know that they, they women are sort of the ultimate drug. I agree with that. You know that they can really make everything right. Yeah. It's a ve- it can be a very safe feeling or a very unsafe feeling. Yeah, depending on where <laughs> where, where you, you are. are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, but um, in that song, it is the perfect encapsulation of that feeling, that headiness of loving a woman and what it feels like to see her. Yeah. You know, just to see her and know that whatever's going on, it, it, it doesn't matter because it, it, she's right there. Yeah. You know, and that's like... Oh, it's the best. It is the best. You're right. It's and then the that best. song, it just, 
oh my god i you know it gives me um chills and and it makes me want to cry but at the same time it's like it's also this jealousy of the perfection of tom petty that he actually captured that feeling in a song yeah you know and it it is the one song that makes me go "Hmm, maybe i should give women another chance (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or, like, or who, Tom Petty who would be wait this might be completely you might um, you might like blurt, blurt this out or whatever cut this out but who would be your ultimate if you could if you could be like if you could have your ultimate woman that you'd want to be with do you have an ultimate woman you'd want to um, be with like I, an ultimate crush that if you could like conquer mm, I don't know or lure them into your maybe Katie Lang Really? I always had, you know, I always liked the butch, the butch okay. kind of handsome, um, strong, uh, but also feminine. There's a feminine side to it. Yeah. There's a feminine side to a butch woman that's very, it's hard to kind of figure out um, and, and explain. And I, But I know her and I think she's wonderful. I mean, I don't know her well enough to say that I, I would I could be in a relationship. But in, in terms of like physical beauty yeah. and like, you know, what I would like in a yeah, woman, I think to, yeah. that, that she would probably be, you know, the ultimate. She would be sort of my Bridget Bardot or whatever. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah you that's know, what I was wondering. You know, whoever you would sort of think but for me that that is definitely my type gotcha you know um in terms of girls but um i've heard she's pretty awesome i yeah i think she's really awesome i mean i i love her i love her artwork i love her singing like her her work um but i don't know i don't know what she's like as a, as as i've only just done olivia cruises with her so i don't know nice all right <laughs> and no like uh, no, she wasn't about to no no any- no, no, she's a fan no, of mine. There's no, no, uh, no rumors, no story. No, no. Never hear anything about her being horrible to people, though. Like no, some people you no, hear no, about, I, they're horrible. That's what I'm saying. My friends, um, my friends, the milk carton kids, opened for Katie Lang on a bunch of shows and mm-hmm. said she was just lovely and awesome. She's lovely. She's that's lovely. I, I've only heard good things. I've heard good things about those guys. They're great. Yeah. What is fantastic? So, what is the uh, purpose of the scarf around? <laughs> What what do they use? Is it a capo? You know, I think it's Kenneth's thing. I think he that's just like a quirky thing that he likes. Like, I think he would probably say that maybe there's like a string buzz or something, mm-hmm. and that little scarf like helps control that or whatever. But I think it's just kind of one. That's just one of those things. Like, um, yeah, you know, like somebody, some people like stick their cigarette out the end of the headstock, like. Like Kenneth Richard. wraps his wraps Richards. a scarf around his guitar. I don't know. I think around it's the a neck, thing. he puts it around the neck. It's like around the first fret. Yeah, and then he, he almost it almost looks like it's a capo, and it almost it's white, and yeah. so it looks like it's like um he's really? surrendering something. Oh yeah, he's like he's gonna wave it up. Yeah, yeah. I, I I need to ask him that because sometimes he wears it on his wrist. And so little, I don't uh, know. Maybe it's a good luck charm or something. Yeah, Black Crow slash Aerosmith. Though that is who I think of when I think of scarves. Oh, when a scarf. Big flowy them. long scarves. Yeah. Like Stephen yeah. Tyler would always have the scarves on his mic stand, right? Or Stevie right. Nicks. Stevie Nicks does that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for Stephen Tyler, uh, all I know was that was for uh, there was a pocket sewn into the scarf, which contained drugs. Oh. So he would he would. Get, go in the pocket of the um, scarf to get drugs yeah. when okay. he was he, he's sober now okay. I guess he is sober he was um, but that was what the purpose was for the scarves now he All just right. keeps his glasses in there his <laughs> right. spectacles his <laughs> bifocals his reading glasses <laughs> when, he, right. when he's gonna when he's gonna pay attention on American Idol when he was on there Oh, man. Like, like in the scarf, like in the top of the scarf, like could you imagine if you tied it on the wrong way and then you got to go all the way to the other end to find, to find <laughs> your shit? Looking it, like trying to like <laughs> looking it? for it. I haven't it, had like, enough time finding shit in my way. pocket in my pants <laughs> on, a, on a long scarf. Well, I don't know why he didn't just put it in his pants, but I guess because um, his pants are so tight. Yeah, there's yeah. not even room for drugs. No, in those, nothing. In those trousers. Yeah, I don't think there's room for much. There, I mean, and if you get busted, you can go, that's not my scarf. <laughs> That's That's right. scarf. Who's scarf? That that thing? <laughs> that was there. <laughs> that was there. But that is very um yeah, I love I love the way that that looks, the scarf on the mic stand. I also love um 
Freddie Mercury's kind of abbreviated mic stand that was like a the broken mic stand. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fred, so Freddie Mercury had sort it's of like, like a, it was almost like a like a baton mm-hmm. kind of uh, what were those things that like British military officers always had? They're kind of that you know they have it under their arm. Oh, what was uh, that? I don't even know, but it was like that very, very sort of military almost. Yeah, that thing that Freddie Mercury had. It's like a not like a riding crop, but it was kind of yeah, like a riding crop, like a riding crop, or like a a pointer. But there was something like kind of marching band about it, yeah, Yeah. so that he could run around and like wave it around. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm not sure what the story was. That I believe it was something that actually had broken. That he yeah. he was at a show and then he the the mic stand was broken, but and then he liked, he liked the way that it looked, oh. and then he because it's not it's not very utilitarian at all. No, because you can't put it down. You, you're still holding something that you know you that you'd have to get on your knees to then stand it there and talk into it or sing into it. Yeah, and holding it, it's just kind of like it just looks weird. It, but I think for Freddie, <laughs> it was like I like this look. I like this. It became look. a thing. But it becomes a thing, like those sort of happy accidents that you do. I mean, I guess also maybe um, it could be said like you playing acoustically mm-hmm. um, and then recreating the sound of a whole band. Like for me, like seeing you acoustically, it's very satisfying. Like I've seen a band. Oh, that's cool. So that's like a happy accident because you didn't know until you played. Right. You know, and that, you know, that, oh, I'm a whole band. I only need myself. I only need Garrison. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's like, it's an interesting thing. Like in my career, it's been hard to know. I think like I've always in, you know, on labels and stuff, it's always been like, well, we don't really know what to do with you. You know, like that's always been the problem. Like in my career, like nobody ever really knew quote what to do with me. And I would all, I think I've struggled for a long time trying to figure out how to market what it is that I do. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. I try, I, when I first started getting into, you know, the music business and get my first record deal and everything, it was during that Lilith fair era. So there were so many female singer songwriters. And then once Alanis Morissette came along, everyone got tired of the singer songwriter thing. This, the woman with the acoustic guitar. Oh, yeah. And it became more about, you know, going into like the late nineties, early two thousands, it became more about like, you know, the Liz fairs and the, the Alanis Morissette's and, mm-hmm you know, no doubt and, you know, female fronted bands and stuff. So it's an interesting thing, man, to figure out how, you know, I mean, I don't know how I got off on that, but just the idea of marketing it one way or the other, it's always been, I don't know, at the end of the day, I always come back to the solo acoustic thing because that seems to be what resonates with most people for, with my music. Like well, it's, you it know, connects. magnificent. It's, yeah. and, and, and it's, and it's, the, it's you. How, uh, well, it's with everything now. Movies, comedians, TV shows, everything. Well, we don't know what to do with it. We don't know fucking... Well, if it's good, why can't we just put it out there? Mm-hmm. and let people, It always has to be figured out who's going to enjoy it. Well, and that's why I think so much good stuff never even gets to people because it, it's just... it's just they, Somebody doesn't think they know what to do with it. Well, and you know, like one thing that I've learned over the years is that, you know, I didn't trust my instincts enough when I was younger mm-hmm. because I wanted it to work. You yeah. know what I mean? Like when I was younger, I was like, oh, well, these people know what they're talking about. Right, and right. I really think, I mean, you know, I knew what I felt in my heart was right and I knew I felt like it would work. But if someone told me it wouldn't work, I would just sort of get bowled over by those people because I'm like, oh, well, that's, they know and I trust them. And, you know, so I, I feel like if I had had the vision for myself then that I do now and had the, you know, really had the confidence and the strength that I have now back then, it probably would have been a different situation. Like, you know, because somebody like Pink, I mean, (laughs) like, I don't, from what I've heard about her career, it's like, I feel like Pink has really pushed her own agenda. She really Mm -hmm. has known who she wanted to be and mm-hmm. what she wanted to do. And if all that is true about her, which I kind of believe it, you know, um, I mean, I respect that so much because, you know, she's really, somebody like her has really fought her way into where she is, but she knew what she wanted, you know? And it's like, I've been reading this book called Harmonic Wealth. And um, it's one of the, it's, it's one of the, it's kind of like the secret, only it takes like the thing, the secret, you know, the secret. Of course, of course. Yeah. I mean, the secret kind of bugs me. Like in some ways, the secret bugs me because it's like really, like I just want, I just imagine that something's going to happen. It's going <laughs> to fucking happen. That's, that seems like bullshit to me. <laughs> However, you know, th- this book, like, it's, it's obviously it focuses on wealth, which is like not just money, but having like a really a well-rounded life. Like you're putting energy and really manifesting and focusing on these 
different aspects of your life and really looking at the long game and the big picture for where you want to be from a spiritual standpoint. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty awesome. But one of the things he talks about is getting really clear. And this is like 101 spirituality. I'm sure like y'all have heard this before that, you know, if you, but it's new to me, like if you really want something, you have to be able to visualize it. You got to know what you want. If you, if you want to get to that place, you have to know what your vision is for it. And you got to like, you got to mm-hmm. stick to that no matter how many people try to knock you off the track or how many times you get distracted because so-and-so just tweeted about like their new single on iTunes or so-and-so just went out to dinner with Brad Pitt. And mm-hmm. you know, you're like, Oh my God, my life sucks. I don't know Brad Pitt. You know, whatever those things that we do <laughs> on Twitter, comparing ourselves to like everything yeah, people say, of course, um, which I am, have been guilty of in the past, you know, like why that person and not me, I'm such a hard worker. It's not fair, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, it's like I, I understand now that, you know, it's like you can't jump off the path and go do something different just because you think if you follow this person's path, then it's going to be OK for you. Like, right. so I guess like, you know, the point is, is that it, I wish that I had known I wish I'd stuck to my instincts back then because I feel like I've always had good instincts. That's the one thing yeah. I've always had. You know? And I mean, the thing about you is that you have a talent that is singular and incomparable. I mean, you have a gift that I don't think you really even understand. And I don't know if if you will ever, you know, the kind of effect you have as a musician and a singer and a songwriter. You, I don't think you know. And I don't know if you should know, <laughs> but it's it's okay. Yeah. But it's something like I um, I am a you know huge rock and roll fan, of course. But I I have uh, you know still in awe of your songs. Every time I hear one, every time I hear your voice on anything, every time I hear something new from you, every time time I hear something old from you. Um, in awe every single time I hear it. Not oh, thank you. That's, but it's true. I really you know. appreciate it. I mean, I and I am. I'm gonna. I'm gonna take that in. Well, you you know, it, it, it either it, it's almost like you may. I don't know because you are also a very humble person, so you may not really ever be able to comprehend it. You may be maybe because you are such a earthy, grounded individual. You may never understand the gift you have, and maybe that's part of it. Is that you just. You just do it. So. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. I. Uh, it's true. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to take that in. Well, I'm going to let I'm that soak. Well, I just You're want you to let soak that process it. process a minute, right? Okay. <laughs> Look, just I'm going to give you a choice right now. I want you to sing a song. Okay. I want you to sing a song for you, you, me, you and me and Jim. Um, I would ask, my request would be either, the, the two ones that I could sing uh, backups would either uh, Beautiful in Los Angeles or Brightest Star. So okay. I'm going to hand you your guitar. I'm going to figure out how we can stand, sort of maybe uh, position ourselves. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll to record you best. Here in a minute, yeah. However, um, you know, I just, for myself as a fan. You don't hmm? have a vote about which song you, uh, I would like for you to just tell me. I just, uh, how about Beautiful in Los Angeles? All right. Hold on a sec. Beautiful in Los Angeles, it will be. Um, how do we do, how should we do it? I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna bring the recorder over here. Do you think I'm gonna I'm, I'm, I'm go off these mics and go on the uh, oh on the on the okay. Uh, Garrison is great. Um, you can tweet her at Garrison Star. Uh, you can where do, do you have Facebook? I do. I have, I have a Facebook. Sorry, I have a Facebook quote unquote personal page, which really is. I mean, yes, you can befriend me there, and then also have a fan page. Both under Garrison Star, and and I mean you know everything you've done is genius. I mean it's like I can't even I can't even explain it to people. They just have to if they haven't heard, they will hear and they need to hear. We're gonna do a sort of a an outro. Uh, this is like a you know kind of where the credits would roll if we were on television, and then we're gonna have our guest, the wonderful Garrison Star, who you can tweet at Garrison Star. You can uh, visit her uh, Facebook page. Um, uh, if you want to tweet me, I'm at Margaret Cho. Where can they tweet you, Jim? At Jimmy Shelter. Um, you can tweet both of us at Monsters of Talk. Um, we are every uh, listen to us on every Monday and Thursday now on soundcloud.com or uh, subscribe on iTunes. Never miss an episode. We love our listeners. We love you so much. We're going to give you this song uh, which I've I've made forced Garrison (laughs) to play and I'm going to 
for some background vocals. <laughs> Love it. But this is our our uh, uh, this is a gift to myself that I'm giving. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a gift to me too. It's a wonderful gift, and and so here here it is. Uh, Garrison starts singing the 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 wonderful song, a beautiful in Los Angeles. All right. Thanks Thank for having you. me. Thank you so much. Yeah.